0: This content is issued by Zeus Capital Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority, for Designated Investment Business, and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus, Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed. Hi, I'm Nick Searle, a member of the Zeus Equity Sales Team and host of A Different Perspective. Here we interview interesting characters from the world of business and finance and uncover a different perspective. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts or contact me at live at zeuscapital.co.uk. It's Wednesday, 9th of August. With me today, I have Martin Varley. Martin is an extremely accomplished entrepreneur, having started several businesses within the promotional merchandise industry. Martin has extensive knowledge of the supply and distribution sectors of these markets. Still an active entrepreneur, Martin now finds time to indulge in his passion for aviation, especially helicopters. Martin, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, lovely to see you today. Can we start at the very beginning? It is a very good place to
1: start. You know, you could be a singer. It would be great. I mean, sound of music. You, I think sound of music. From. It would be, would be wonderful. Uh, actually, the beginning is I left school early, um, 15. And in those days, there was a, a kind of a called the YTS scheme for listeners that are old enough, the youth training scheme. I was 15, and um, effectively, I would get 25 pounds a week. Um, if I went and became a photojournalist. And I had a little bit of a background in photography just for my hobby. Um, and at that time came from a very modest family. The 25 pound made a difference mm-hmm. um, to the uh, to the family. So I took that job, um, which effen- effectively was photojournalist is a really grand term for somebody who goes around to coffee mornings, um, fundraising coffee mornings, and takes photographs and gets cake in return. And that was basically how I ha- how I got into to work. And, and what happened was I realized that if you we uh, were doing a feature or whatever it was on a local restaurant that was going to the newspaper and you were nice to people, they would probably buy more advertising. Yeah. And uh, somebody took me under their wing and said, hey, why don't you move into sales? And uh, after not that long, I went to uh, learn how to sell, which is uh, direct selling of kitchens, literally knocking on doors. And if you don't sell, you don't, don't yep. eat. And I think yeah. it's a tremendous um, training. And, and it's one of the first times, although I think all the lessons I've learned in business, I've only realized 30 years later. And I go back to think to moments in life when you think, OK, well, when, where did that thought come from? And and we talk today, people talk today about the greatest uh, that, that, that data is the new oil, mm-hmm. but it isn't actually. And I read this. I think it may be more on your podcast that trust is the new yeah. oil. And, and I think that I guess I realized that all those years ago, but didn't realize it then that if you build trust with somebody, whether you're selling them a kitchen or a dream or a helicopter, whatever it may be, trust is the key. And it's so hard to build that and so easy to, uh, to, to break it. And, and so effectively I went into selling kitchens and then kind of transferred. It was one of those environments, direct selling, whereby yeah. no matter how much you earned in those days, you would spend a pound more. It was just a crazy environment. I mean, prizes of Ferraris and all the rest of it. At the, the time of some well-known entrepreneurs you would know that were in that business and floated big businesses. Um, and so I went to the commercial side of it. Um, I'd always enjoyed cooking and I went to sell commercial kitchens. Um, for a company that, again, old listeners would know, a company called Sound Diffusion Group, um, who, effect was a finance company. And that taught me more the corporate side. Um, and then I left that and decided, you know what, I want to go and sell these logo pens. Why? Well, somebody said to me, hey, this is a great, great business to be in. Why don't you come and do this? It's easier than selling <coughs> commercial kitchens, excuse me.
0: You sell more pens than kitchens, I guess.
1: Uh, yeah, pens are quite a lot cheaper, though. But yeah. the, the interesting thing was is that I think that, look, I was a very lucky guy. Um, I inherited a patch that started in Carlisle and went up to the very tip of Scotland and I lived in Manchester so my commute in my Vauxhall Cavalier um, was you know get to to Carlisle and start work and the guy before me that had worked for 18 months had done all this prospecting but had forgotten one simple thing which is ask for the order Mm. and so I literally just went along met these people and asked for the order you know I became top salesperson in you know the first few months and Their biggest problem was that the top salesperson got to drive the Chems Jaguar for for a month. And yet here was I at 22, literally, they couldn't clearly ensure it. So I was a very, very lucky person that the guy before me did all the work and I got all the uh, kind of credit for it. Um, But then I was, you know, kind of starting to get to the point whereby in those days you would settle down a little bit earlier, (coughs) had a uh, a girlfriend, became a fiance. And, you know, this isn't really a life being away in scotland yeah. five days a week and so decided closer to home And i went to a company in saint helens which is a bit nearer than uh, carlisle and um they sold these things called business gifts that i'd never really heard of i thought this is doesn't seem that difficult and it's anyway, six weeks in um i got a letter from uh, the guy and i won't embarrass him with his name but a nice guy and he got a letter which said could you come to a meeting um you know as soon as you get there so i go and of course me, being a little bit naive, didn't realize that's how you got fired in those days. <laughs> so he turned up with the company car and all the stuff, and he side me and he, with, the, with these words, which I'll never forget. And I remind him of a couple of decades later, uh, you will never make it in promotional products or business gifts. And in fairness, he was probably right. I didn't have an affinity, didn't understand it. But I went back <coughs> to where we all used to meet in Manchester, in the center of Manchester, this little cafe, and you know, give each other sales tips. And this friend of mine gave me a Manchester Evening News, and he'd circled a job selling promotional products. Stockport, well, well, this is good, so I give the guy a call, pretend of course I'm still employed, mm-hmm. um, and the next morning get an interview in Hazelgrove Stockport, get the job. And the reason I'm telling this story is that a year later I realized that the difference between, effectively, was all I had to do was buy something for a pound and sell it for one pound 50. It wasn't really a complex business. So as long as you had some customers and you, you know, knew where the suppliers were and you can afford to pay them, you're going, to be, you're going to be in business. And so I made the decision um, with an, a neighbor at the time, said to me, you know, well, yeah, I'll help you. And for £5,000, got 50% of the business, um, you know, which maybe was the right valuation for something that was nothing. Um, and we had a target to do 100 grand in the first year, did 300, you know, we thought we might do 200 in the second year after the 100, mm-hmm. and we did 3 million. And that business was started in my um, bedroom, effectively, uh, you know, on a, you know, I can't even say on a computer, it was on a typewriter. Um, And today, those people are still at 4imprint, many of those people, today. And, you know, so I I guess as an entrepreneur, what's quite wonderful is looking at uh, the businesses that, you know, if you look at my very first company, actually, it's the company number of Pebble Group, another PLC, Mm -hmm. uh, Facilis and Brand Edition, great, great team there. Chris Lee worked with great, great team, great company. And... Forein Print has the most brilliant team there. And, and I guess it, something you're probably going to ask me about is at what point should an entrepreneur realize they are an entrepreneur, not a leader? Yes. And I probably, you know, that happened by <clears throat> osmosis. So after about five or six years, everything was going great. And um, bearing in mind where I'd come from on a YTS scheme and, you know, nothing, I had an offer from a company called Bemrose Corporation. And Bemrose in those days were uh, a printing company printed um, rail tickets and green shield stamps and vodafone scratch cards and those sort of things um and the moscow state Lottery, which you can come back to after we're because there's some good stories about that yeah um uh tickets and um they made an offer for the business and but the thing is we were growing like crazy um and by then i'd swapped the partner that put the five grand in mm. for another partner um that had some more money but it was still i still had 50 percent of the business and i'd made a commitment as i always do to give a third of way to the staff which is the right way to do it if you're going to do these things and yeah um, they're the a public company and things dragged on a bit not their fault no one's fault yes, I wasn't yeah. using um, I was probably in that phase of I don't like paying advisors so why pay advisors um, and so didn't have advisors um, and tried to kind of do it all myself but I knew little but anyway it got to the point whereby we were ready to complete um, and um, I had a bit of a wobble which is you know, like, now I'm going to be working for somebody. Is this what I want? And I had a meeting with, you know, and you talk about people that um, that kind of influence you. This guy um, who worked for Royal Bank of Scotland when you could talk to a person, at yeah. RBS in those days, um, a guy called Mike uh, Smethurst. And uh, I had lunch with him, I'll never forget, at the Copthorne Hotel in Salford Keys, and, and he said, draw a line. Take the money, draw a line, you can always start again. Probably the best piece of advice I've ever had. Now, on a short-term basis, it was really poor advice because had I just... Come out with another set of figures i probably could have negotiated yeah you know a few quite a bit more but it comes to my other premise which is a deal's a deal so i either walked away because i'd shaken hands on the yeah. deal nothing wrong with saying you i've changed your mind but you can't say change your mind and then negotiate yeah that doesn't doesn't work for me so i sold it to a and unusually um in that environment on the, my first day on the job i got told i've been promoted to heading up uh, the all of the uk they did calendars and whatever and they bought a diary company and the guy decided to leave, I don't know, um, and so I went from being this entrepreneur that was just out there, you know, rah-rah, selling, getting these great contracts with huge names, IBM, British Airways, whatever it may be, big names, um, to now having to deal with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was lucky to have an incredible mentor, Dr. Graham Bennington, and he, he basically, and I've written extensively about this, but... Um, he helped lead me to a, a way to work to 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 lead, but understand that everybody's got the same thought processes. Not everybody yep. goes home at night and doesn't stop thinking, and wakes up and you know, in fact, doesn't stop thinking the whole time. Not everyone does that, and to understand that, and he, he 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 taught me a heck a hell of a lot more than anybody. So, what year did you sell the business? So that was in nineteen ninety five or six. So, fair, you know, fairly, uh, fairly you know, it was, it was six years old. Sold it to to Bemrose, who then pivoted towards um, promotional products. Um, and um, in a kind of a kind of a twist of nice, um, I ended up selling. I was obviously on the board of Bemrose, selling the printing businesses to Graham, mm-hmm. who was backed by LDC, who then sold it onto Appleton Paper, uh, who were in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, which is all a bizarre circle because that's of course where foreign print are. Yeah. Um, and you fly into Appleton Airport if you go to uh, to visit Oshkosh. He made a very successful job of, uh, of turning that business around, and we were left as Bemrose with now these um, promotional product businesses, and we just made an acquisition in the U.S. of a business called Nelson Marketing, run by a guy called Dick Nelson, who is still around. Um, <clears throat> super smart guy. Super, super smart guy, um, but like lots of smart people, um, probably a bit... St- you know, ahead of mm-hmm. where many others are, and, um, and and just I guess a bit different to where other other people were, but very very smart guy, and and really wanted to turn this thing into a billion dollar business, um, and and I guess his style probably didn't gel perfectly with you know with with mine, and I had and again I apologize to any uh, listeners that have this, but it was always said to me is that. Um, if you walk into a building and they've got a fountain and reception and, and, you know, a Jaguar in the car park, you know. Yeah, exactly. You're done. And um, that, you know, I flew in with the CFO one day and we got collected by, um, you know, in a Jaguar. And I actually said, as we were going up the, uh, the escalator, I said, please don't tell them there's going to be a bloody fountain at the top. And there was. And when I was there about five or six years ago chatting to, uh, to Kevin, who runs that business, uh, he he'd still laugh. About the days the fountain went in, and they don't want to take it out because you know just well, she means it, doesn't, it doesn't operate anymore. Yeah. Uh, but they don't want to you know they don't take it out, and uh, and so <clears throat> at that time I think there was this drive generally to buy your way to success rather than what I believe is serve your way to success. And um, we'd made an acquisition at the time that which was a very uncomfortable acquisition for everybody. Um, the, this, this business AIA, which turned out and it's again public record, not to be the smartest move. I don't think anyone was really in favor of it um, other than you know, one person, but it went through. And then suddenly there's another acquisition opportunity. And, and I think there's moments in your life when you kind of play them back and go, wow, that was pivotal. But I was in a board meeting um, in, the, in the early days of video conferencing where you needed to dial up 16 phone calls mm-hmm. to the US to have these, you know, these, these conference calls. And myself and uh, the group CFO in the, in the UK and uh, you know, others dotted around. And, and then a paper was brought to buy another company. Um, a company called Corporate Express, again, it's no real secret, it was for sale at the time. And I, in my naivety, said, we've just bought this other thing and we're kind of struggling to kind of figure it out. I mean, surely we're gonna choke to death if we do this other one. And um, that didn't meet with a huge amount of approval from the other end of the video conference. And, um, And I saw a side of, you know, at that time of that person that I didn't really know existed. And so I kind of, you know, very dramatically closed my folio and said, you know what, I don't need this. And said, I'm out. And, and I think that that was kind of a bit of a, a midlife crisis yep. because, um, you know, I'd kind of got, you know, we'd kind of got there, you know, we suddenly had a little bit of money, we had a nice house, had kids, you know, it was all going on. And, and I was still traveling to the US. I was on planes all the time, I was exhausted. My mental health certainly wasn't where it, where it should be. Uh, and I think that was just like a, maybe my, my mind being very clever, saying you know what, I'm done, and so I, I so I I left that and um, did a few of the little things, uh, little a few IPOs and stuff, which was fun. Um, but I guess um, and I guess most importantly, life-changing is and, and and I and I mean this in the in the politest way possible is that I came home and said, hey, I've decided I'm gonna be at home much more now. I'm going to stop all the travelling and it affected my wife said uh, like a divorce in that case <laughs> <laughs> now uh, I mean, it clearly wasn't exactly that but if there was ever a movie about my life that would be the that that, that no you can't ask who would play me by the way uh, or who would play me? george clooney it's got to be hasn't i, it? think, I, be, no, I be, think i agree, agree be, with that i think that. i agree with just on the hair color uh, and so it, that kind of was the thing but i think that what that did was that suddenly um, uh, you know we had, a, we had we had we've got three amazing amazing kids and very fortunate and two grandchildren thank you I do look young um, but I think what it was is that, that there's this life that had been created that surrounded me never being there and, you know, the kids and the help and the holidays. And suddenly, I guess I threw a pebble in the pond of calm. Um, and that was it now. You know, we're very fortunate to have brought up three, you know, great kids who are very successful in their own their own right. You know, one at Google, one at L'Oreal, and my son is a, a pant attorney that's just moving firms. Um, and... I don't know where they get the brains from. Clearly, it wasn't from me. I got an English O-level, so I don't think it came from me. Um, I don't know. Maybe it skipped a generation. Um, so so I guess what happened was there I was with this kind of desire to do things differently. If I think back to what I enjoyed about foreign print, it was that my last 18 months was spent with Kevin Lyons-Tarr, who did a brave thing and moved from Oshkosh to Salford in Manchester um, to kind of we, myself and another colleague... Had built this tech stack to run orders more efficiently, and the problem they had in the US was they were growing so fast, but they didn't have the tech. Mm. And in those days, tech all looked a bit like Excel, but we'd managed to create this order management system. It was called Oasis, by the way, and um, everyone thinks it's after the Manchester popular, yeah. but it's not. It it's stood for Order Acknowledgement Sales Information System, Sales Invoicing System, Oasis. Interestingly, when they spun a business off and they wanted a copy of Oasis, they decided to call it ISIS. <laughs> not probably no, the best. Not, no, not, the, the, not best the best. Um, and I spent maybe eighteen months with um, Kevin Lyons on, uh, on on this project because effectively we realised that to make a difference to the group, the smart thing to do was take the work the UK had done on this dev and actually take it to the US because the numbers were just so mu- so much bigger. In fact, we didn't launch Foreign uh, Print UK until a couple of years later. You know, at that point it was still called Nelson Marketing. We did this whole rebrand. There was a bit of a boardroom shuffle and whatever. Um, And and, and today, I actually look at that and go, wow. I mean, that is a great business. Mm -hmm. That is a great, great, great business. But behind all of this was my view that it's about customer experience and low friction. And at some point, all markets go vertical. Um, and I, I, there was on, I was on LinkedIn, and, and there was a quote from the outgoing CFO, which you might have seen, uh, basically saying that in, in, it, this, in, in, in this industry, uh, you have to manage costs or you die. In fact, that's oh, yeah. a paraphrasing yeah. of it. And I just reposted saying, "In isn't it any industry? I mean, in reality, is there's always somebody going to be cheaper, and there's only so much you can charge a premium, the trust premium. There's a certain amount of money." If you're in China now and you want to get back to the UK, you'll pay a certain amount more for Virgin or Cathay or British Airways, but there's a limit to how much more you'll pay exactly. versus China East to China Southern. That's not to say they're not great airlines; they're okay airlines. But we all, why do I pay four pounds for my Pret a coffee when before that is a place that's two pounds? Yep. Yeah. So, so it, it's it. The model was is great. Engage your customers, uh, work with the data, and therefore I think. That for Imprint, we were collecting data all those years ago, and that's one of the great values in that business, for what it's worth today. But I felt that there was still the ability to democratize or to help smaller businesses uh, with a technology package. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to write a technology package for the masses, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, you know, and I plan to spend, I don't know, this was the figure, but, you know, 100 grand and do it in a year. And of course, you end up spending 20 million in doing yeah. it in 20 years. Um, but that was the start of what is now Altitude Group. And, yes. and, and so, so basically, um, but in order to get adoption, what I decided was, well, if I build the tech for a year, that's great, but nothing's gonna happen. So why don't I just do what I know I can do, which is go and sell some logo stuff. So I quickly built a sales force and um, got a call about six, seven months later from a gentleman, still a, one of our shareholders, Keith Willis, who said, hey, you know, I've just parted company with our MD, and they were probably the number two or three in the UK at the time. Um, uh, do you want the job? I said, look, Keith, you've probably not seen it, but I'm actually doing it already. And anyway, he went for a cup of tea and within 10 minutes realized look he had scale um, and therefore he had, um, I guess, pull with the suppliers and I had a energy and desire and whatever, and, and tech uh, focused, and so we merged the businesses. And it became Dowless Corporate Solutions, um, which then effectively was renamed Altitude when mm-hmm. we did the uh, the IPO. But along the way, I'd built—not I. So if I've used I, it doesn't mean I did anything. It's the team. Uh, so it's never—I don't actually do anything. The team built an incredible stack, and I am not the easiest person to work with. Not because I scream or any of that, but it's just that I—it will never be good enough. That's You know, obviously, I obviously need more therapy on that issue, but it will never be good enough. And it's not that—it's not that I'm criticising. It's just that I want it to be great. Um, You know, good to great is one of my books, uh, and and it's a—that's it. it, And I I want it to be great. And therefore, why compromise? You know, uh, on the colour of a button or the shape of a button. Yeah. But then you realise that it's very difficult to make any money uh, if all you're doing is constantly developing. and I learned at some stage, you know, what MVP, I've always seen this thing, MVP, but I never knew what it meant. And minimal and viable, minimally viable, they're not terms that sit well with aviation for what it's worth. Uh, it's, well, I imagine. But Jobs is a bit good advocate of, of getting a product out there as soon as possible
0: and then tweaking it on the back of customer.
1: I, I, yeah. And I, I was talking yesterday uh, with, with, with some uh, colleagues uh, about people that really were like move the needle um and when people talk <clears throat> they were talking about elon musk and you know and i by the way I, I don't drink his kool-aid but i think he'll do it i think he'll be the payment gateway he's done it before and i think he'll do he'll, he'll do it again and i think the fact that paypal have launched their own uh, coin now the, their own tethered coin is really interesting and i think i'm not been i'm not a great believer in gambling uh, at all in bit- gambling period uh, but bitcoin and, F yeah. and whatever so, uh, at all but I'm a great believer in the technology enablement of the blockchain, um, and the, you know, certain things like the Stellar network, where they're enabling money moneygram transfers in seconds for a penny or a cent versus two days and fifteen yes. percent. You know, yeah. is what. So we're talking about that, and so I think Elon will make it. But then we said, well, who else is there? And I said, well, there was Steve Jobs. I mean, the guy was just a genius. Market just just a genius. He surrounded himself with amazing people. Yeah. Um, I think one of the best books I've read, which is. Um, it's almost like you need to read it now, was uh, by John Scully from Pepsi to Apple. Because he's so ridiculous that effectively he spends the whole book saying why Steve Jobs was so bad at yeah. what he did. And then fast forward a year, the book's still in print and still in the top ten, and Steve Jobs has come back. So I think he, he was amazing. But I think there's a huge difference between, I think that people like um, um, Paul Allen, yes, Microsoft, yeah, Microsoft yeah. Um, who they call the accidental billionaire, but he got to do his passion in the end. He went on doing discoveries with his submarines and his you know, helicopters and, 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 and whatever. But Steve Ballmer, out there, extrovert, you know, rah-rah. But Bill Gates, you know, loved the conspiracy theories or whatever it is. You can't deny the fact that what he did was just brilliant. And, I, and then, so somebody said to me, and what about Zuckerberg? I said, no, definitely not. Yeah. Definitely not. Okay, I might be... I've watched the movie too many times, but there's a big difference between Steve Jobs and and Musk and Bill Gates and, uh, you know, and and Mark Zuckerberg. We We know, you know, he's done amazing, but, you know, what's he really done? And I think, for what it's worth, if you gave his powers to a few people for a day, the world could be a better place.
0: Yeah, that's a very interesting thought, actually. And then, so, altitude. Yeah.
1: So, uh, it effectively, I think I got to the point where I realized that, that in order to, uh, you know, Good to Great is a great yeah. book, and there's a book called Focus, which is a fabulous book. Um, and I realized that I had to actually learn from past mistakes, and there's no way that I could be developing the next shiny thing that wouldn't deliver revenue for three years yet while trying to, you know, keep all the other plates plate spinning. Yeah. And uh, I'd, been, I'd known Nicky Stella, the actual CEO, for probably three or four years, we had a partnership in technology te- um, with where she was working, and um, I, I thought I always. And I must have said to her ten times. I don't know why you, you're not the CEO of this, and and I guess, you know, it just didn't quite work out. And I don't drink or smoke or do drugs, but I did, I did have a glass of brandy one night. I was on a cruise ship um, away, and I basically sent a drunk text to her um, saying, "Hey Nikki, I saw you just left um, the country you went to. I don't know why you." You've done that, and you're not working for us. This is ridiculous. Um, I'll make you rich. But of course, then I fell asleep and completely forgot about it. opened my phone in the morning to a text. Uh, hey, well, that's that's out of the blue. But call me. But I had no real recollection. Yeah, I had yeah. to scroll up. Anyway, I'm very fortunate to say that within a couple of meetings, um, Nikki agreed to take on, you know, the drive. And and since she's been in the group, it's it's, I mean, changed shape immeasurably. It, 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 it's clear, it's focused, it, it's got some new niches. It's primarily U.S. Um, the U.K. team are tremendous. Uh, they're the, the dev and the history. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a, an amazing U.S. story. And, um, you know, Nikki was, was here recently and uh, with, with some results. And um, I think she, she and her team have just... Just killing it. No, she's but, doing, a, doing a great job. Yeah. And actually investors are beginning to really, to really, yeah, and, and really and look, take uh, note now. And I think the thing about being uh, you know, publicly traded is that you... I think that what you've got to sometimes do is put yourself in the mind of the fund managers who want to buy when it's cheap and sell when it's high. They don't really care mm-hmm. about your emotions. And I think that where I've got to um, more recently with lots of help from lots of people is that the only thing that really matters is that she and her team are doing an amazing job. Whether the share price is right or wrong is irrelevant because the the, the market thinks it's right, and the market is yeah. rarely wrong. And so, will it? Do, will at some point? Do I believe that it's going to be recognised as being a very valuable business? Absolutely. But the value is in the team, the technology, the trust that it's built up. Um, that's where the value is, and at some point that will get recognised in yeah. pounds, and pence. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, so basically, so effectively, I, ste- I handed that over, which was. Um, Easier than I probably thought. Easy for so me. How probably. long
0: had you been at altitude then? From well, effectively,
1: to... from two, it had been 40, 15 years. Okay. I mean, it had been you know a long, a, a long time. But and I mentioned mental health before. But again, I think I would hit a point in my life where my mental health was definitely wasn't at its peak. And she knew that. We'd had lots of uh, conversations as uh, when we were kind of um, we had a, a software partnership agreement with her company. And I'm not, i never made any any secret of that. And I, probably, I definitely wasn't at my at my peak. Um, and, and we try now in, in an organization that I work with to measure that on a scale of one to five. Because mm-hmm. if you say to somebody, you, know, you talk about pain scale, yeah. but often people say, oh, yeah, they've, you know, they've got mental issues. So that doesn't really help you define what it is. But I would say at that time my mental fitness was at a two. And really it should be a kind of a four or a five. Yes. I did. Yeah, yeah. It was probably at yeah. a two, maybe bordering on a one and a half. And so it was absolutely the right time. And the only thing I didn't do very well, which I'll apologize yet again to Nikki for, is I didn't let go quick enough. Yes. Um, and I think that is but such That's a very problem. hard for a, for a founder to do, though,
0: isn't it? Without actually selling your business and having closure and then walking away.
1: I don't think it's actually about um, the selling or walking away. Because you remember, I'm an unusual founder and entrepreneur that stayed with Bemrose for seven years. Yes, yeah, that's true, yeah. And, we, you know, uh, and it was put on the path to being the billion-dollar business that everyone knew it could. Now, could I have got it to a billion-four not a chance I'd have already been in seventeen other markets doing nineteen other things, um, and wouldn't have been as focused as, as the team are so no so so I, I kind of I've tried to replay that one so many times. One thing I have replayed is if I just kept my shares and sat on a beach, I'd be wealthier than I ever needed to be based on the share price yeah. improvement yeah. Um, But I don't think it's that it's hard as a as a founder to walk away. I think it's harder if you're um, if the way your mind works is it could always be better. It's a poison challenge you give to anybody who's got to try and make you happy. Mm-hmm. It's My kids would say that, yeah. lots of people would say that. And, and so it took me a long time and a few chairmen um, to realize that, you know, they were all right in different ways. Today, um, with David Smith, who's our chair, um, is absolutely brilliant. I mean, he is. his knowledge on how much a pig carcass or a sheep is at the farm gate is very useful to how much my lamb chop should be costing Yeah, with his NFU job. But he is just a superb, superb chairman. Um, and we have great conversations. And he's really helped me more and more to step back and just realize that I'm a non-exec. Not a founder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a non-exec, not an entrepreneur. Um, and I remain non-tech. a very large shareholder. I'm a, 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 and yeah, and I I, I I love that. I mean, there's no there's no issue. But that it. Look, it I guess it's a bit like I finally. My, my kids um, are fabulous, but it kind of strikes me that I was never as smart as they were. But I think all kids kind of appear to seem super smart now, and then they, you know, politely know it all. Yeah, so when when I kinda of lose the, the analogy of the kids is there's a point whereby they start to make their own decisions and no matter how you might not agree with their decisions, you can only you can start by saying, Hey, you should do this, but they're not gonna listen and you realise in the end you're wasting your breath and what you've got to do is just wait the time. Yeah, and just sit back and watch them and be proud. And and I think that's really in in a way I probably learnt that um with the business so i could apply it with the kids and they'll i'm sure listen to this and tell email listeners if i'm telling the truth here but (laughs) i think it was my uh, my understanding of myself to realize that actually you can't know everything about everything all the time you you've actually got to at some point go you know what good enough is good enough yeah um and have they made mistakes i'm sure they have but wow they've
0: got great careers I mean just as a sidetrack do you think that comes from some form of imposter syndrome the fact that you know, coming from your background your YTS being very very successful in business do you think you have to drive to be great because you're worried that others will think
1: no. ill of you if you don't no no I don't think it's, I think I do suffer from imposter syndrome to an extent but it, my, my drive is nothing to do with me being successful it's to do with the team being successful. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked about philanthropy. That's kind of a hard things, and and it, it's kind of you know interesting that I sold another business along the way and just made a decision purely because at the time, just pre divorced didn't really need the money, so it made sense to kind of give the shares to a charity and then sell the shares from there. So we ended up with the charitable trust, which has done some great, great things. And I I don't think it's about me wanting to be seen as great. In fact, I never do interviews. I never done one of these things and i probably might never do one again it's not Mm -hmm. about that it's about how do we succeed for the team Mm -hmm. because if you say to somebody follow me and i'm going to make it that your life will change the better now which has very different meanings for different people to some people having a holiday of a lifetime is is a difference to some it's paying off the mortgage some it's buying a house because they're renting and some it's buying a boat the the dream board thing and I kind of feel a commitment to that. That if I said, follow me and you will do this. So I feel a greater commitment to Nikki and to Graham and mm-hmm. Deborah and Peter Haller and David Smith than I do to myself. Yeah. I and I think that's what it is. It's a fear of failing them, not fear of failing myself.
0: No, no, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of
1: sense. And then maybe we can change tack a little bit and talk
0: about. A great passion of yours which is aviation and helicopters
1: yeah i mean i would say helicopters which are a subset of aviation but i'm probably you know i think airplanes are nice um but you know they're fine uh but it's not a huge amount of fun and, and all that one of my very close friends um and share and shareholders in the, in the business uh, has just bought an airplane to add to his helicopter fleet and he called me yesterday and say why don't you get your fixed wing license I said go on then <laughs> so I, I literally not legally but I can fly an airplane done lots of times but um you know with an instructor or whatever um but I I'll probably do that but yeah he- helicopters is a, is a passion I learned when I was uh, 24 25 um flew, bought my first helicopter about that time flew quite a lot but under very different circumstances and um, then life got in the way, yeah. I guess, yeah. as, as happened. And then about five or six years ago, I thought, you know what, I really missed that. And, it, you know, so I, you know, I had a very old type of license, which meant it was a license for life. A bit like <clears throat> very old driving licenses. Yes. They, yeah. You could drive anything. Yeah. And so I didn't really need to do any training, but of course there was no way I was ever gonna just go and get a helicopter and even figure out how to start the thing now with modern technology. So I, I found a flight school and and um, took some lessons and discovered that the the quality bar on training was pretty low. It was just pretty low, and I didn't. You don't realize that because it, you know if you're going to learn to fly a helicopter, you spend a lot of your time switching the engine off mm-hmm. because that's just what we what we do. That's kind of the most important part of the engine ever quits. This is what you do. Now we spend all our time practicing that. And by the way, engines don't quit. These are engines in the, in those uh, helicopters that, that are in combine harvesters. Yeah. They don't stop for six months and then they don't run for six months and then yeah. they don't stop for six months. So the engines don't quit. Um, but we spend our life practicing for that. And so you place an inordinate amount of trust in the, the flight structure examiner that everything they're telling you is right. And so I kind of you know eventually realized, hey, hang on a minute, I'm paying a fortune here because it's an expensive hobby to yeah. get licensed back. That I probably could have done 15, 20 hours ago, and I was kind of so, um, again, back to my insecurity, thinking that I could never achieve it, and I hit exams and, and all that kind of stuff, um, that I I did actually buy a helicopter, and after two weeks, I thought, this is mad, I'm never going to be able to pass, and cancel the order. I actually called the dealer and said, sell it to somebody else. I've done, I'm done, I'm done, yep. I'm done. And he, tremendous guy, a guy called Quentin Smith, quite famous because he was on, um, on Top Gear for landing a helicopter onto a Skoda that Jeremy Clarkson was... Uh, was driving. Interestingly, he hadn't got insurance approval for <laughs> that, but but a, a superb guy and I flew with him and have flown with him quite a lot. And he, he is man and machine. I mean, he's just a, an inspiration uh, for aviation. And um, anyone who's done any flying or, or sales or whatever will, will see this. But I went out with him to, to fly uh, sometime later and it was a new type of helicopter and um, we took it out and we had a nice little fly around and I, I learned something as always. And when we came back, um, it was quite busy. There's six or seven helicopters out and this is a denim aerodrome mm-hmm. and the wind kind of whips around the hangar and you just got to, be on, you've got to be on it. And I'm kind of hoping he's going to say, oh, well, park it on the third row because I think it'll be a bit, a bit easier. And um, I said, where would you like me to put it? And he said, into wind to be a good start. Now, that is such a smart thing to say because the fundamentals of flying are be into wind. If you're into wind, there's nothing, anything that goes wrong, yeah. you're going to be able to fix it. But the answer I was expecting wasn't that. It was, oh, put it on the left or the right. And, and that, what I think, is a true inspiration is that where you can shock you with the answer. Because I guess in his mind, he thought it was ridiculous as even asking. I don't know. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we spent lots of time together. But mm-hmm. I, I kind of need to, you know, ask, ask him about that. So, yeah, I, then I thought, you know what? This can't be a difficult business to be in. So I thought, what the heck? I, I did then take my test a few days later, passed started flying, yeah. and I thought, you know what, well, why don't we create a flight school? Why don't we find a way um, to beat what is a very low bar? And the guy I was working with uh, introduced me to a guy called Jack Fox, who's with me now um, in, in this business. Young guy, you know, one of a very young um, uh, co- commercial pilot, very young instructor, um, 19 or 20, I think he was at that time. And I said, come on, be our inst- flight instructor. And so we started teaching on my helicopter, which was a, quite a nice helicopter. You wouldn't normally, but it attracted a certain clientele. Yes. Yep. Anyway, lockdown, um, for however you look at it, it turned out to be good for us because we, we built this business very quickly. We became the number one school probably in the country. We're featured in an American magazine called Verticum Mag. It's ice helicopters. And um, it was just a, a great thing. But then it took on a life of its own. And then one day somebody said to me, Do you know, you're the accountable manager. And what does that mean? Well, you're accountable okay this is not as much fun as i thought it was yeah. and i did an, an mbo of that in december uh i let the management buy yeah. it uh, help them fund it and i, I try to advise but i have my own helicopter still i'm very fortunate it's how i get up and down the country to uh, to manchester most weeks um and i think there are a lot of parallels mm. um in aviation and business which we talk about all the time and you know in in, in aviation uh, we, we, we TEM, which is threat and error management or mitigation, whichever you want. And so, you know, last week I'm going to Manchester, picking up uh, uh, Peter in outside his his garden, going up to Manchester for a, for a meeting. And um, you know, the first thing is weather. Yes. So you know, what are the threats? Well, yeah. the weather's a big one. So we have uh, lots of acronyms, yes. but yeah. so what are the threats? Well, this weather's ropey. I've got to get over Luton. I've then got to go over. Got to go to. Nottingham I've got to somehow get over to London. Motoring, this is ropey, and so that was the threat. So, what's the mitigation? You know, the error is we fly into ground. Yeah. What's the mitigation? Is well, we got we d- we recognise that there's no commercial pressure. Worse, way, we stick it in a field and wait. Yeah. Or worse, we stick it in a field and get the bus. Yeah. Whatever it may be, and and I think that I- in business, you know, there was a very interesting story which you may have followed about the 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 jamboree for scouts. Yes. In Korea. Yeah. yeah. And forty thousand attendees and suddenly 4000 from the UK are housed in hotels overnight. I want to be with that person that put that plan together because that is that is management of threats. That whoever did that disaster plan is wow. And and I think that if when starting a business you actually which isn't my default, isn't look for the things that go wrong. Aviation's taught me that. But it's a look at, well, what could go wrong and how can we mitigate and manage it? And I think everybody who's listening will have hopefully been in a meeting with their cybersecurity team and hear that the world's going to end you know mm-hmm. week on Thursday for, for, for us all. But actually, that needs to happen to many parts of it. And um, particularly, I, I guess, in uh, how you recover from mistakes, which people call reputation management, but I don't think it's that. I think it's just how do you fix stuff when it goes wrong? Yeah, I
0: think it's very yeah,
1: important. Yeah. And, and, and so, so I guess there are some, some parallels. So I, but for aviation, look, I, I fly, I enjoy it. My son, um, who is a, a, a patent attorney, he is literally flying today. He's probably five hours away from you know, passing his test. And uh, you know, he's done it very different to me. My view was if the pass mark was 75, get 75, anything over that was... He's, yeah. you know, dis- disappointed if he's not 100 different person he's highly academic and uh, but he'll be a great pilot he probably won't even take off he's a si- sort of guy i hope for the next few hundred hours certainly that he'd st- sit on the ground rather than go well let's have a look yeah whereas i'll go yeah. well let's have a little dabble let's have a look and it's crap we'll come back yeah. or stick on the ground but that's just because i've got but yeah. your other kids aren't interested um my eldest it, it, my eldest rachel um During lockdown, we were uh, still training, and um, the Department for Transport basically said that if you're a professional flight training organisation, you can keep working. Well, they used a small P, so it wasn't a capital P, Mm. and I don't think we were unprofessional. So we kept working, much to the consternation of many other people. We kept working anyway, but it became a bit of a community and lots of fun. We had this huge hangar with 12 helicopters in, and we had a barbecue most days and uh, social distance. Of course. And... um, Rachel came down and we were doing some videos and it's worth watching this. It's on the Ice Helicopters YouTube channel um, and it's, it's something like Trial Lesson and it's my daughter Rachel with, um, with this guy Jack Fox doing a trial lesson, proper trial lesson. And it's had over 350,000 views and it's 45 minutes long. Oh. And the comments are unique, are, are all the same in that they say the quality of training is what sets it apart. Now there were also some people who made comments about my daughter's legs. Now I started by angrily <laughs> <laughs> responding to them, on realising that's just a pointless exercise. Yeah. But uh, so Rachel is kind of interested, but she's got an amazing career at Google, and she's got yep. you know my first gift was at my my granddaughter Bella, and, and my other daughter definitely not. Okay. Um, she's very successful. She's just about to finish her maternity leave. My little grandson Noah. Um, But not, no, no, I think that she would rather uh, go out for lunch and, you know, do things that didn't tax her mind. Um, But Daniel, uh, you know, as a patent attorney, he did uh, material science. And I guess it's interesting for him. You know, he, one of his clients was a jet engine manufacturer. So I think that's, you know, but I, I don't really know. I was surprised when he did it. I always thought it was too risk averse. And I guess you have a lot of people coming for training.
0: I mean, if you are sort of the gold standard as it were.
1: Yeah, I think that what we we developed was a kind of a, um, a, a niche in that everybody was, you know, 50 something. Um, and we're doing it because they wanted to do something else rather than... Uh, career pilots who wanted to build hours and get yeah. through it. so we were able to create a really wonderful atmosphere and it and, and it was never meant to make a profit now bizarrely it did completely unplanned and never really wanted to look because it was just a, a fabulous thing to be doing but it did actually make a profit um but the quality of trading is based on the quality of people and you know i think that one of the things i learned way too late in life was high slow fire fast um, and that particularly applies in something like you know uh, flight training, because you just can't you can't make a mistake with your reputation. It goes back to that trust you spoke to at the beginning of the show. Yeah, and, and, and look, you know, a lot of organisations have commercial pressures. I mean, you know, very sad uh, thing with Kobe Bryant yep. happened, and and yep. Jack and I were in California at that time, and I was doing my American uh, license at the flight school where the pilot was from. Mm. And when we would come out in the evening, we would get accosted by the press. But that was commercial pressure. That was a helicopter. You press a button and it would have flown it there with your eyes closed. I mean, that was commercial pressure. should never have gone and for some reason didn't have autopilot on. And the investigations are still going on. I'm definitely not smart enough to know what yeah. goes on. But I did fly the route, um, you know, a few weeks later in a lovely evening. And I don't understand it, that what happens when all you've got to do is follow the freeway. That literally is all you had to do. But the answer was drive, stay on the ground. Why yeah. would you? Why would? Yeah. Why would you go? So I think that what happens is if you're in an organisation that is based on making money, the the need to make money involves risk. There's no mm-hmm. profit without risk. Well, that doesn't belong in aviation. It just doesn't belong in aviation. Yesterday there was lots of talk from Virgin Atlantic about pilots saying they're they're tired, they're exhausted. That is just sh- shouldn't be happening. And I know that the Virgin Atlantic is an incredible organisation and the bow the, the airline pallet association will will fix it and this will be a quick fix but it, it doesn't risk doesn't belong in it so therefore what that means you'll be prepared to say if the weather's a bit ropey will you stay on the ground and have coffee yeah. and we don't charge you for the lesson yeah. that's very difficult when you're getting paid by the hour so we removed that and anybody who ever said "Eh, it looks okay not for yeah, us yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah. And
0: then, Martin, before we get on to, to my normal questions at the end, what are you up to these days?
1: So I'm uh, doing a lot of thinking and quite a bit of babysitting, I'm pleased to say. I've become the, lo- the, uh, the local guy, which is, I'm very lucky. But I've also, I always had this passion. That's to your grandchildren, I assume. Yes, yes, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> You're not yeah, getting £10 now? No, 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 no. I, actually, no. Um, but what I find f- quite fabulous is that um, you know, my eldest will say, oh, we've booked, you know, Helen, which happens to be her name. And I said, oh, I'll do it. I mean, now the reality is is um, they have Sky TV and I don't. So yeah. that's quite a good thing. And, and it's actually quite nice. And then with a bit of luck, she'll wake up and I'll get to yeah. see her. Um, but apart from that, I've spent I spent lockdown on the helicopter business, but also had this idea to deliver what I'd always wanted to deliver was the perfect tech stack. So this would be my third attempt at doing it. And um, I created a tech stack, started uh, with, with a team. And over the last... I guess three years, have been developing um, Mercher, which is really a, a content monetization platform for people that have got a brand or a following or whatever. So if you um, said, um, you know, subscribe to our podcast and we'll send you a, a Zeus mug or whatever it may yep. be, uh, you don't really want to have to buy, you know, 500 of those and hold them in stock. What you'd like to have to do is let somebody just order it and it goes somewhere that it's shipped, printed on demand and shipped great ESG benefits as well, but no risk for you and et cetera. But we kept seeing how large organizations, um, whether it be um, Warner Brothers or whoever, they would support their top 10 bands with merch. But as soon as you got out of that, everything's always out of stock. And, and we know that um, a lot of artists make their money only from mm-hmm. touring and, and merch. So I kind of start, it started as that. Now, it's, it's become a, you know, a a lovely monster. Um, in that we've seen some different, we've we've built this incredible tech stack. It's uh, we we made it um, Shopify as a Shopify in, integration, which is unbelievable, and we are providing a product on a dropship, uh, print-on-demand basis to some of the biggest names in the world. Um, the team have just killed it. I mean, they've just just killed it, and um, we, we, we've tried to. I've tried to learn from past things, and I found myself yesterday saying, guys. Can we just park that feature? Because I don't think it's going to make a big enough difference right now. And one of the guys, like I said, somebody like, who's kidnapped Martin? Because I would always be wanting it to be better and better. So yeah. I've, I've learned about that. So Merch I'm very excited about. Um, we're just uh, doing a, uh, a little Series A now, which is pretty much done, um, uh, with a plan on a quite a much larger Series B. But it'll be a U.S. business. Yes. And um, yeah. we will be recruiting a CEO. I'm, I need to send a drunk text to somebody. It wouldn't Excellent. be Nicky, by the way. It's, um, you know, it, 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 I, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have these businesses. That the ones I'm not associated with, but have gone on to make lots of people lots yeah. of money and succeed, and now association with some great businesses, great leaders. And so I've just got one leader to find. Then I can fly more.
0: Excellent. Will this be your last one? Do you think?
1: Well, <sighs> never say never. No, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I t- I tell you what the the, the difficulty is uh, is that. My hard part is I can't stop thinking. And I have to think longer and harder because I don't have that academic ability. And I find it very difficult to, to switch off. I I think if there's something else, it definitely isn't in anything to do with a logo or printing yeah. or a product. It, it definitely isn't. I'm I'm starting to work with some charities and, and not-profits, and I'm actively looking for the right fit for, you know, whether it be... Help or non exec or whatever it is on not for profits. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that. Look, I'm nearly 61 and i jump in out of helicopters and I'm up and down across the Atlantic into a. I, I do it all. Um, wh- and I've got grandchildren, I've got a bad back. I can't imagine I'm going to do it again, but who knows? You know, who, right? who knows? So right, who knows? Now,
0: Martin, as my regular listeners know, I like to close each show with the same three questions. So I'll take one at a time, if that's okay. Yeah. Your greatest inspiration or mentor, or inspiration and mentors?
1: Well, and I think that's kind of when I was obviously looked up um, and listened to some of the previous podcasts. It's a bit that I actually thought was, maybe I'm a bit weird, but I don't think you ever can have one mentor mm-hmm. or, or inspiration. I think it's a journey, the same as it is with, with books. At different times, different books make a bit, Absolutely. a bit of a difference. And so I've mentioned Graham Bennington. He was a, 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 a true, true mentor. But I look at, you know, in, in people who have influenced my deci- my decisions along the way. David Smith very recently influences yeah. me. He's Nicky your chairman, said, of he's chairman of Altitude. Yeah. Peter Hallett, who is um, a non-exec and was yeah. chairman of Altitude, he, he, he is a, a great positive influence um, to me. Um, people like, uh, the, the, you know, the Pilot Q. He influenced me in, in many other ways, in, in terms of really getting into the you know the detail of stuff. But in terms of a true mentor, I would say uh, I would say that I, I would say that. And again, not to cause embarrassment, but I met a lady thirty five years ago. Business we bought when we were at Bemrose, uh, four imprint. Uh, lady called Pam Gerber, and she basically in a couple of sentences put me right about life. And I'll never forget. We were in Hong Kong. Uh, it was the time of the show. Uh, I was living there at that point, and it happened to Passover. And as people, listeners will know that that becomes a very big family dinner. So we just sent an invite out. Anybody you know, that, 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 that uh, you know, wanted to celebrate Passover, there's a place for you at our our apartment. And we probably have 40 people there, and it was, it was uh, fantastic. And um, I'd made a little comment uh, about my eldest, effectively saying that she was a bit of a dreamer, and Pam put me straight. She said I the words, and I don't want to get it wrong, but she basically said a child will only... Meet your expectations, not beat them, so set them high. I think those were wise words. Mm-hmm. And um, she had a daughter, Rebecca, who um, you know uh, is actually one of the Altitude's or Ames affiliates now, which is beautiful, oh, okay. and, uh, and, and, and is loving it. And I always I speak to Rebecca regularly, she's a good friend, and I say to her how what, what an impact Pam had because the other great saying she had was. In terms of entrepreneurs and why entrepreneurs um, struggle sometimes with the effort or not the effort, that's the wrong word, the perceived effort or perceived commitment. And what she said is, says, is until you've had to make payroll, you don't get it. Mm -hmm. And that really resonated with me because in those early days, you and you were paying people weekly, and you just, you know, you were literally scraping it together to be able to pay everybody. Every week, and I think that is a great leveller for an entrepreneur. And now today, that translates to oh, un, un, unless your runway isn't seven months. But I yeah. think that's just such nonsense. You know, I mean, yeah, nonsense. it's such, such nonsense. Yeah. And then a book or a books which have inspired. Yeah, you. I mentioned um, I, I, I mentioned Good to Great, which I, which I really like, and it's, these aren't new books; these yeah. are old books, and, that, yeah. and, I, and I read them. And, and Focus, which I think is I'll read but back; could have that wrong. That, that's that's a great book. Good to Great, I like because it tells particularly resonated with me with the story of of hurts number 1 club and and how that you know came about and i think that, that, i think that's a, that, that's just a superb book recently um, i've been i've been reading about american history i don't know why but i've picked up a few books now it's heavy going for a non academic it is heavy going but i didn't know any of this stuff you know so i've kind of obviously gone through life not really understanding anything about asia and the us and so i'm finding that quite fascinating but i did reread um, good to great recently mm-hmm. because I don't think the lessons have changed and I think people should read From Pepsi to Apple by John Scully because it was right while he was writing it and it was probably right for a few weeks afterwards but as we said before you know Steve Jobs but surrounded by brilliant people Yeah. So Johnny Ive I yeah. mean yeah. you know wow you know, and as I don't know the exact figure, and you might do, but I I do have an iPhone One, not the correct iPhone One that you really want to have, and you're not in good enough condition. But you know, if you just kept the iPhone One in the box, you could have got one hundred fifty-four thousand for it at the auction a few days ago. And if you'd bought the stock and not the phone, you'd have about thirty million. So unbelievable, isn't it? Unbelievable, fabulous.
0: And then, what piece of advice would you give to a young person starting out in on their
1: career to follow in your footsteps? I guess my and I say to my own kids, and and I don't mean it with any ill intent, but my generation has screwed the young generation over royally. I mean, we are leaving the the environment and the economy in a way worse place than anybody other generation has. Well, in my mm. in my knowledge, and but we've also made huge advances in in uh, in medicine in diagnostics and and the advances there are probably only held back by their regulatory approvals right, rightly so far it's worth so what i say to my kids is i think you need to enjoy what you do because you're going to be doing it till you're 100 yeah and so what i guess the message that maybe goes through all of this conversation is that i'm kind of believe in pluralism i mean i don't think kids need to set their career uh, you know anymore and I, I don't think they should i heard of somebody recently that was 50 and decided to retrain as a doctor took 7 years wow yeah going to be an amazing doctor because you know all that life experience. all that life experience and so i think that I, I would say is i guess the one piece of advice that I, I i'd give but i wish i didn't have to is don't post stuff on social media that's going to harm your career later yeah be be present look at look at the moment and realize that whatever you post is going to be looked at by an employer. And start your LinkedIn profile early. Mm-hmm. I am you know, obviously on LinkedIn and you can find me on there, but start it early. And yeah, have I posted stuff that I shouldn't have done on there? Yeah, but I've removed it a minute later or somebody said, yeah, that's probably not on brand. So I think that, I think that my advice is don't think you need to know your career today because you definitely don't. And I think that following the footsteps of any entrepreneur or founder 40 years from 40 years ago Mm. is not the same as today today you're being judged by your peers on how many seed rounds you've done and whatever and that's just all nonsense i think the best businesses you grind them out and you prove the concept and there's some amazing businesses out there that have done that with no money and they're just wow businesses so i think my my best piece of advice is your parents are probably smarter than you realize um and you know take advice from multiple sources you don't need to actually just go
0: with one one view it's a great Churchill quote, isn't there? I didn't think my parents knew anything when I was 17, but I was surprised how much they learned when I turned 21.
1: <laughs> that, I that's a great quote.
0: Yeah. Martin, this has been fantastic. So um, listeners can get in touch with you on LinkedIn. Is that the best way? And uh, Yeah, look,
1: I, I'm, uh, you know, I'll give it my, well, you can post my email address, yeah. which is martin at merchant.com, dot com. And I'm a believer that if somebody's got something to share, give me advice or need some advice, then email me. My phone number's on my signature. When you get it back, I'm, I don't hide. But yeah, it, LinkedIn connect with me you know look i get a lot of connections and most of them trying to sell me some service which i'm not madly interested in the latest cryptocurrency mining scheme um but no i i i survive by learning so please get in touch
0: fantastic this has been really good fun thanks very much thank you Thanks for listening to A Different Perspective, a Zeus podcast. If you'd like to feature on the podcast or get in touch, you can contact me on live at zeuscapital.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.